Welcome back to the commentary to Sukkot, the festival of, of uh, booths or the festival of ingathering. Uh, I'm the author, Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. If you have the written notes, we're near the bottom of page four, and um, we are talking about Sukkot in three different main venues, three different main uh, views or, or categories. We're talking about Sukkot in the past. We looked through the Tanakh, through Exodus, through Leviticus, and at a prophetic passage in Ezekiel. And then we looked at Sukkot through the present reality that we enjoy through Yeshua, our Messiah. We looked at the book of John, um, the book of Hebrews, and then the book of Jeremiah for our prophetic portion. I now want to turn to section 3 and um, look at Sukkot through the future redemption that the Torah speaks to us about. I'm going to be looking at these passages, this uh, this particular study. Romans 11, 25, and 26. Revelation 21, 3. And then for our prophetic passage, I've chosen Zechariah 14, verse 16. Before I jump into the future redemptive aspect of Sukkot, I want to say something real quick about the John 1, 1 passage that I read for you earlier in Hebrew. Let me go to my computer and look something up for you, okay? I believe that um, the word that John chose to describe Yeshua dwelling with us was no arbitrary use of Greek. And I believe John knew um, enough Hebrew to kind of give us an inside peek at what he was really trying to say in the Greek as well. Now remember, we looked at this verse in Hebrew. Let me get my Hebrew Bible again for you. Okay. What I have here in my hands is a Hebrew version of the New Testament. It's kind of a nifty little tool here to hand, have around, especially when you're witnessing to Jewish people about Yeshua. I picked this up at Mar... Well, actually, I think I ordered this from Israel, the Bible Society in Israel at the time. Um, uh, this, is, this is easily probably 10 years old. I don't know. Let's see when it was published. 1991. Yeah, okay. I got it when I... Uh, um, I think I got it when I got back from the military in 2000. At any rate, you can pick one of these up at Mardell's is what I was about to say. These days, I think it's only about 25 or 30 bucks if you'd like to get one. But again, your warning is that it's in, it's completely in Hebrew. There's no English at all. You know, you know, like you've seen these Bibles that have Hebrew on one side of the page and English on the other side, or pony version where you got Hebrew and then English right on top of one another. This has neither. It's just straight Hebrew from Genesis to Revelation. We read the Hebrew passage of... Um, John 1 1 and then John 1 14. And in John 1 14, where I want to focus, um, you know, in the English, it read, and the, word of, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only one begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. And uh, in the Hebrew, it said, Hadavar basar This word, Vashachan. Um, uh, that John uses in, in Pasuk 14 is reminiscent of the Hebrew phrase that we saw way back in Exodus 25 when God said, if you build the tabernacle, then I will dwell among you. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the Hebrew says. I suppose I could turn to it. I got my Tanakh pulled out right here. I was just going to quote it from memory. Let me just turn to it real quick so we can see what I'm trying to bring out here. Exodus 25, Pasuk 8... They shall make a sanctuary for me, so that I may dwell among them. Uh, the Hebrew says, "Va'asu li mikdash v'shachanti b'tocham." And what we talked about is that this word "v'shachanti" carries the root word "shachan," which means to dwell. 
John picks up on that when he says, The same phrase is, it's nearly identical to the Hebrew over in Exodus 25. The word, Hadavar, Nihya, became Basar flesh, Vashachan, and dwelt Batochenu among us. This root word, Shachan, means to dwell close. That's what we're talking about, dwelling with God. That's why we're doing a study on Sukkot. But what I want you to also know is that in the Greek, of which John was originally written, or at least of which we have preserved for us, John also uses a very peculiar Greek word to convey to his listeners, or to his readers, this important feature and this important reality of God dwelling with us. In John 1 14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. If I look up in the Greek, the word dwelt among us, okay, I've got my uh, computer opened up here using the software. The original Greek word for dwelt that I just clicked on here is skenao. Okay? Skenao, according to the BDB, this isn't in my commentary, this is just me speaking freehand. According to the BDB, the brown driver, uh, Briggs and Justinius Lexicon. The BDB uh, defines this word skenao, Strong's number 4637, as to fix one's tabernacle. Have one's tabernacle. Abide or live in a tabernacle or tent. To dwell. Now, those of you who didn't know that detail, your mouth should be dropped open right now at the use of the Greek word that John chose to convey Yeshua coming to earth and dwelling with us. He tabernacled with us. Is this not the Feast of Tabernacles? Oh yeah, it is. And there are many who teach that Yeshua came to earth during the Feast of Tabernacles. That is to say, he was born around this time of year. He tabernacled with us during this time of year. In fact, I am one of those, I am one of those uh, people who believe that uh, his birth was probably sometime on or near the Feast of Tabernacles. Certainly not on December 25th. So, um, and, and of course, I'm not going to go off in that direction in this study. If you'd like more on those types of studies, I recommend uh, Norm Franz. Um, do a web search for his name, N-O-R-M is his first name, F like Frank, R-A-N-Z like Zebra is his last name. And he runs Ascension Ministries, and he does an excellent teaching on the timing of the birth of Yeshua around this time of year. Or if you just go to our own website, graftedin.com, and right at the very top, let me click on it here and see where the link is. Right at the very top, along the little blue strip uh, at the top of our page near our graphic, um, you can click on the link that says resources and um, the second resource on our list this is what most people would call links the second resource on our list is whitestonepress.com and that's Norm Franz's website go there and I believe you can access his um, teaching on Yeshua being born around this time of year but people listen to what John just said Yeshua pitched his tent among us and it was this tabernacling that becomes the fullness of the promises that God gives to us where he would dwell with us. However, we left last uh, portion, last uh, um, study, part A, with a teaser question. Is this the fullness that, that, that God is referring to when he says, I will dwell among men? Is this all that we can look forward to? Where we, we have the indwelling of God's spirit on the inside, and I guess that's it? What about poor Israel, who corporately has not yet decided that Jesus is the Messiah? Therefore, they live 
and they grope about in a certain amount of spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness, what about them? Are we just to say, oh, well, we've got it, but you don't? No, 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 of course that's not the case. Let's move now into the rest of my commentary. Sukkot, future redemption. Now, having just gone through Yom Kippur and a study on the same, we as believers should now be intimately familiar with the effectual atoning death of Yeshua, which brought about the very real and present reality that today anyone can become a child of God. Now, of course, I'm speaking to the choir. To be sure, the Torah promises that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, will quote-unquote dwell within the believer, bearing witness of their with their Ruach that they are truly offspring of the Holy One, blessed be He. You remember Romans 8, 16, where Paul says, Because of the Spirit's presence, we can cry, Abba, Father. We can say, Daddy. Now again, at this time, you start to ask more questions. You say, Ariel, I thought that Yeshua's indwelling Spirit was an eternal one. What's all this talk about a temporary dwelling place? Why are you focusing on the temporary? Yeshua has brought the permanent reality to us and we no longer need to focus on the temporary. That's what you might be asking me. Well, it is true the studies focuses on the temporary and the temporary aspects, I should say, of Sukkot. But the studies focus is also on the dwelling place of Hashem. Now, Yeshua is Hashem. But all that God is is not collapsed into Yeshua in such a way as to detract from God the Father. What do I mean? Well, in a very real way, each and every one of us believers is Yeshua's sukkah. Now, sukkah is a little booth. It's a hut. It's a temporary dwelling shelter for a person to live in. That's why God told Israel to live in booths, to remind them of the journeying through the desert on their way to the promised land before they got their permanent homes. A sukkah is a temporary structure. It's something that we put up once a year, during this time of year. We sit in it for seven... Well, we don't just sit in it, but we study and we, we have services in it, we worship in it, we pray in it, um, we, we do all kinds of things like that. But we dwell in it once a year, and then when this time of year is over, we, we take it down and we, we put it away. We don't spend the entire year in this thing. Um, we are, in fact the temporary dwelling place for Hashem. Now, I'm using the word temporary here in a very careful way. Don't get me wrong. On a permanent basis, the Spirit takes up residence within us once we name the name of Yeshua. But when I say temporary, what I mean is that God is still desiring to dwell with this people. He wants to come and be with us on a more permanent basis and more tangible way that's even, that even exceeds what we have now. I mean, Yeshua is within us, but we also have sin within us. And Yeshua and sin should not and cannot coexist in the same place. And so Jesus is with us, but yet we are still waiting for a fuller reality than what we have now, because we still house sin. And so we cannot say that this is all that there is to God's promises to us. I mean, if this is all there is, I'm still going to have to struggle with sin? I think I want a refund. No, there's more to it than that. We have become his permanent dwelling place within a temporary vessel. That's what I'm hinting at here. That's what I mean by the term temporary. That's right, Yeshua has taken up residence inside of me. Yeshua has taken residence inside, uh, taken up residence inside of you. However, the body that you have is not the end result. It's not the permanent home that Yeshua was envisioning when he said um, that I want to come into you and sup with you. 
we still must wait for this imperfection to to fade away for this this flesh to die completely for as paul would put it this imperfection to put on perfection and once that happens god's dwelling will then be complete you see once this corruption is exchanged for incorruption what's going to happen is we will shed the temporary aspect of this dwelling isn't that something we're to rejoice about isn't that something to look forward to yeah we've got the down payment right now but we don't have the fullness yet read 1st Corinthians 15 verse 51 through 54 and you'll see that Paul is referring to the resurrection in the time when God will change us Yeshua will return and we will be changed what about God's dwelling should we be looking forward to I'm still inquiring I'm still asking questions about the dwelling place of Hashem sure Yeshua dwells within us God is within us now on a small way it's a complete dwelling please don't misunderstand me I'm not trying to diminish the personal salvation that you and I enjoy through Yeshua it is complete it lacks nothing the problem is with us we haven't yet been changed we haven't been transformed yet where is God's dwelling place among his people where's his sukkah today where's Papa's tent in Romans 11 verses 25 and 26 the writer there, Paul, begins to hint of a future time when all Israel, that's you and me, shall know the salvation of their God once and for all. How will we know God's full salvation? You know how we'll know? Because, according to Paul, all Israel will be saved. Does this mean every single individual Israelite living in the world today? I'm not sure I believe that's how the verse is to be interpreted. I think all means every one that God determines will know him. And all that he has preordained shall know him will know him. Of course, we know the mystery of the gospel is that Israel is comprised of Jew and Gentile. So just get your mind out of the notion that when Paul says Israel there, he's referring only to those people who live in the Middle East or those people who run around with black hats and beards and peyote and things like that. Israel is larger than that. If you are within the sound of my voice right now, and you have already named the name of Yeshua for your personal salvation, and he has taken up residence within you, and you are his sukkah, well then you are part of Israel. Okay? So all of Israel means the rest of those whom God has determined in advance will also call upon his name for salvation, but have not yet done so. Thus Paul can pray for all Israel to be saved. It's the exact same prayer of Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? Because they shall prosper who love thee, speaking of Jerusalem. So continue to pray for Jerusalem. Why? Because they are our brothers and sisters, and there are many people there yet to receive Yeshua, so that God can come and dwell with his people. Baruch Hashem, may that day come soon. So we see tied up within the future redemption that we're talking about now is the concept that Hashem started with way back in the days of the Tanakh. Let's go back and read Exodus 25, verse 8 again. It's time from the KJV. Quote, I will dwell among them. So we see we've come full circle. When God says, build me a tabernacle and I will dwell among them, the tabernacle that he was really envisioning 
from a future perspective was the one that he would eventually dwell in where all of his people would collectively know him from the greatest to the least as Jeremiah and Joel prophesy that they will as Ezekiel passage prophesies that they shall all know me from the greatest to the least and has that day happened yet? No people it has not. We have been given the down payment of the promises in Joel where he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh but we do not yet see the fullness of it because not everyone knows the Lord. And we must pray for this day to come soon. The tabernacle that we must prepare is ourselves. But we also must make room for the probably the awesome reality that there will be another future temple built where God will dwell with us and where sin will flee from his presence once and for all. I will dwell among them, God says, va'asuli. Let me read the passage here. Va'asuli mikdash v'shachanti patocham. Build me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. You see, from the prophetic book of Revelation, we learn that there will be a day when the final plan of Hashem will be fully realized among men. Let's look there. Chapter 21, verse 3 of the book of Revelation. Quote, this is out of the NIV. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now... The dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. End quote. Did you read it there, people? John, looking into the future, sees a time when the dwelling of God is with men. Oh, yes. Will there be a temple? I'm not exactly sure. I know John talks about that there's no temple and no throne and things like that. But John also knows that there's a future 1,000 year uh, reign of Messiah here on earth. And we'll have a temple then, to be sure. So, at least I'm pretty sure there will be a temple. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I I don't believe that that, uh, Ezekiel was describing just a spiritual temple in the latter part of his book there. I think it's a real temple. God will dwell with us, and we will be held, we will behold His glory, as we had before in the days of the Tanakh. The Shekhinah will be here with us. We will be changed, and we will be like our Master Yeshua. The dwelling of God is with men, and what did John's verse say? And He will live with them. This is the fullness. This is full circle from Exodus 25, verse 8. Don't you see where all this is leading to people? The concept of Hashem making his final dwelling place with his people is so important that even the prophet Zechariah foretold it of the time when everyone living in the millennium will have a divinely appointed opportunity to participate, what? In the Feast of Tabernacles. That's right. This is a festival for the nations. Everyone is invited God says so in Zechariah 14, verse 16. It's a divine uh, appointment. It's a divine invitation. Come, be with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Come and dwell with Him. Invite Yeshua into your life, and God will make His abode with you. And you too can experience the reality that is to come one day when God will dwell with us in a way that we have never before imagined. You see, even with the past history of the tabernacle that we've read about in our study here, and the present reality of Yeshua's spirit within us as believers today, we must believe that we still have a final corporate Sukkot 
to experience. O Israel, rejoice. Your God will dwell with you one day. Just accept his provision, his means of atonement, as is offered through his son Yeshua. And yes, you too can experience the genuine indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh and the presence of God in your life. Moreover, people, listen. On that day when Yeshua returns to rule from Yerushalayim, from Jerusalem, in bodily form, I might add, we know that our current relationship with them is going to take on an entirely different aspect because we will be changed. Our corruption will melt away and we will put on incorruption just like our Master. You know, in our age, many Jewish people, and I imagine a few non-Jews as well, they're going to participate in the Feast of Sukkot this year. That's a good thing. I think it's a really good thing. Because it's, it looks forward to the Zechariah passage that I mentioned a moment ago, Zechariah 14.16, where God says that everybody, eventually, one day, will participate in this particular festival. And you know what? The rabbis have always known this in advance. There's a passage in the Tznach. I don't know where it is off the top of my head. I think it's near the very end of Numbers. Let me grab my Bible here and see if I can find it. We're closing down my commentary here, so... Uh, yeah, here it is. It's right here in the book of Numbers, right at the very end. Um, in Numbers chapter 29, the uh, festival of Yom Kippur is in first is in full view. And uh, what God speaks about doing on the 10th day, I'm sorry, Yom Kippur, I said uh, Yom Kippur, I meant Sukkot. Uh, starting in Pasuk 12 of Numbers 29, I want you, the reader, to go back and read Numbers 29, verse 12, all the way through uh, the end of the chapter there, all the way through to verse 39. Notice all the sacrifices that are mentioned. All the bulls, the rams, the goats, um, the drink offering. Um, uh, did I say goats? I'm sorry, I didn't mean goat. Um, we just see really, uh, let's see, um, bulls, rams, lambs, and that's it as far as animals, and various drink offerings and things like that. What I want you to do is, if you have the time, I want you to go back and count how many bulls, starting with day one and going all the way through to um, day seven. Count the bulls, okay? Why am I asking you to count the bulls? Because according to rabbinic anthology, um, the number 70 is a symbol of the nations. And if you count the bulls there on Yom Kippur, you'll see that they add up to 70. What do the rabbis say about this particular feature as it kind of progressively builds day after day? You know, the bulls keep uh, multiplying. They say that this is God's way of of, of um, prophetically hinting at that one day all people will be keeping the festival of Sukkot. And of course the rabbi's speculation is confirmed in the book of Zechariah chapter 14 verse 16. So it's nothing new. So that's my point. What I want you to do, however, um, is I want you to continue to study this particular festival, okay? Let's draw my commentary to a close. Let us believers be ever mindful of the purposes that Hashem has for mankind, the ones that are tied up for us in His Mikra Ekodesh's holy convocations. We see that Sukkot brings the feasts in Leviticus chapter 23 to a conclusion. And because of this, our study has drawn to a close. Now Hashem has ended for us on a grand theme of temporary dwelling places involving mankind. Only with the final dwelling place of Hashem, there's going to be nothing temporary about it. You get it? 
God will make things permanent one day, and we will never again have to lack. Only on this final dwelling, this final Sukkot, can we, can we corporately and fully realize the grand scope of God's plan that he set into motion thousands of years ago. The Feast of Tabernacles is the end of the Mikra Ekodesh, and the revelation of John's vision is the end of his book, in the book of the Bible. And so, I guess... It's a good place to call it the end of our study. Now, I suppose I would like to let you know that there is actually a Sukkot Chanukah connection. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it right now, since this is the end of our um, Sukkot study. What I can um, uh, inform you, however, is that uh, when the time comes for Chanukah this year, um, when you study the Chanukah commentary, look for the excursus at the very end of my Chanukah commentary, and you'll see that there is a Sukkot Chanukah connection. And um, so I just wanted to let you know about that, okay? I'm going to conduct a study of the minor feasts of Israel in a separate series, so you're welcome to join me, study along with me, right here on this website, uh, graftedin.com, if you felt that this current one was informative. But until then, I wish you shalom and blessings as you seek to deepen your understanding and strengthen your relationship to the whole Word of God. Remember the verse that we quoted um, a long time ago in, in our studies. Second Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved. Okay. I greet you. Chag Sameach Sukkot. Happy Festival of Tabernacles. And if you'd like to study further about this feast, I want you to read Exodus 25 verse 1, verse 2, verse 8, and verse 9. Leviticus 22.26 through 23:44 as well as Leviticus 26:11 and 12 read numbers 29:12 through 16 read 1 Kings 8:2 through 21 read Jeremiah 31:33 Ezekiel 37:27 and 28 as well as Ezekiel 38:18 through 39:16 don't forget to read Zechariah 14:1 through 21 and then jump over to John 1:14 as well as chapter 7 and then read John 14.23 and John 17.23. Read Romans 11.25 and 26. Read Hebrews 8, 1, 2, and 10. And then don't forget Revelation 21, verse 3. Okay, I'm the author of the commentary, Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I wish you a, a happy festival and a wonderful time studying God's Word. Okay, shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember... Because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua, through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at Hotmail.com That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at Hotmail.com Or visit our website at GraftedIn.com 
That's graftedin.com. <laughs> 